2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 13. And we'll read from 13 all the way down to 17. Let's read together. But we ought always to give thanks to you, to God for you, brothers, beloved by the beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, so that. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God the Father who loved us and gave gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. As we open to this passage, we're going to land primarily today in verse 13. And we're not going to go very far. And I want you to, um, I just just want to be real honest, we're going to go slow here through this passage. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a ton of very heavy theological thought in this text. Just... Line after line of this slams heavy theology. Um, And it is deep, and it is weighty, and it is fun to walk through. But I have seen in the past when we go fast, not we as people, when humans go fast through these kinds of texts, we tend to do one of two things. We either tend to get mad at the theology that's in the text. Or, we tend to go way too far the other way and get mad at everyone else for the text. Um, So we're either mad at the text or we're mad at everybody else for the text. So we want to go slow, and I want you to understand what Paul is doing in this passage. He has just spent multiple... uh, He's just gone through... The rebellion, the lawless one, talking about the end times, telling you comfort each other with these things. And he's discussed some things that are very, very anxiety-inducing. And remember, the whole reason he's doing that is because there were some false teachers going around who who were claiming things about Paul's teaching. And they were claiming things about what Paul was doing. And so he's got this anxiety-ridden congregation and he's going to them and going okay listen you don't have to panic the lawless one's going to come the rebellion's going to happen Jesus is going to come and the lawless one is going to be defeated and the rebellion's going to be put down and he's he's got all of these things that he discusses with them and then here he goes but I want you to understand the love of God for you which is always if you read Paul's writings it always comes back to this idea that God loves his people. God loves his people. And that is what drives him. And that's what drives us. And that's what drives community. So as we approach this text, I just want to tell you, we're going to go slow. And we're going to go slowly through it. And uh, some, some of these next couple sermons, this one probably not, but some of these next couple sermons might be short 
because we're going to cover a heavy chunk of something and a hefty thought of things. And I think it's equally important that you have time together to discuss them over lunch as it is that you have heard me talk about them. So uh, let's dive in here at the very outset. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. So he begins by saying, in light of all of these things, there's this contrastive kind, but, but we always give thanks to you. So what is he just, what's he, what's he contrasting? He's contrasting the previous verses. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. This is what we talked about two weeks ago. And God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So he says there's these people who don't believe the truth and they have pleasure in unrighteousness. But we thank God for you. This is implicitly saying you are not that way. You don't find pleasure in unrighteousness, and you've welcomed the truth. You've welcomed what, what we probably ought to translate earlier, welcomed a love for the truth, and you don't take pleasure in unrighteousness, but you find your delight in the truth and in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You find joy in pursuing Him. The contrast here is with those who have not welcomed the truth. There are many who do not welcome the truth. There are many in this life who do not welcome the truth. There are those who avoid engagement of any kind. They insist on avoiding that personal relationship with anybody. And that's what we prayed against for ourselves. right? We want to be seen and we want to see. We want to engage with one another. We want to see each other. There are those who deny that there is any absolute truth. That there is any absolute reality. Everything is relative. These guys are fun to pick on, right? If you're, if you're just at the base level, someone says there's no absolute truth, and you, just, you can laugh immediately. Is that an absolute truth? There's no absolute Is that absolute? Well, I mean, you know, it's all relative, and then, well, maybe it's absolute for you. And is that wall? Does that wall exist? Does the wall exist? If the wall exists, then I can't walk through it. If you think the wall doesn't exist, I'd like to see you try to walk through it. Go fast. It'll be more fun. Right? This, is, this is easy to refute, but it's difficult to get people to understand. It's easy to refute, but it is difficult to get people to understand. If someone has rejected any kind of absolute truth or reality, they are those who do not welcome the truth. They need a heart change to be able to do that. There are also those that flat out deny the truth for the sake of evil deeds. We see this in John chapter 3, when Jesus says they love their evil deeds more than the light. This is, this is just flat out true. People will, will love wicked, sinful pleasures more than truth. They delight in unrighteous pleasure more than truth. These are, these are true things. There are also those, so you've got those... First three, those who avoid any engagement, don't want to be seen. You know, they're Instagram friends. Everything you see of them is a perfect picture that they've cultivated for you, right? Even in person. Um, and then there are those who deny any absolute reality. Those guys are fun. You can have long conversations with them. They'll never get anywhere. And then there are those who seek 
their evil deeds over the truth. And then there are those who think that unrighteousness is more pleasurable than truth. And I want you to hear the heart of Jesus with that. They think that unrighteousness is more pleasurable than truth. And what that means is they are looking at the shepherd, the good shepherd. They're shaking their fist and they're saying, I can do better than you. This is Ezekiel. This is the story in Ezekiel 34, 35, and 36 when the shepherd has to come and he scolds the shepherds of Israel and he says, I will come. And how does he have to address his people? It says in chapter 36, I will give them a new heart. I will give them, I will take their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. I will sprinkle clean water on them. It's the same thing Jesus references in John chapter 3 that he will give them, unless you were born of water and spirit, I will put my spirit within them and I will sprinkle clean water on them. Nicodemus would have heard that and gone, oh, Ezekiel 36, you're, the, you're claiming to be the good shepherd. He would have grasped that. This is exactly what Jesus must do. There are those who reject the truth and they do not love the truth. and We see them. So what does Paul say in response to believers who have embraced the truth, who have embraced the joy of life and righteousness, who are striving to be holy, who are striving towards sanctification, what does he say? But we we ought always give thanks. This should describe how we are to each other. We ought always to give thanks for one another, ought to be a marker of who we are as Christians. Gratitude for one another will increase your love for the community like nothing else. Learning to cultivate a practice of gratitude will change the way you see everyone. It will change the way you see everyone. Write it down. This is just a straightforward application. Write down gratitude and thanks for people that you know in your community, in the church, people that you know that you are striving to see and be seen by. Write gratitudes out for them. Write thanks for them. Pray for them and thank them. And write it down. Do the work. It is good for you. It is healthy for you. And it is awesome. I do this. I'm not asking you to do anything hard. I know I'm not asking you to do anything hard because I do it. It's, it's great. And it will change your attitude towards people so quick. It will teach you to see people the way that Christ does always. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, cultivating gratitude in this way is wonderful. And I would urge all of us to do it. Imagine what it would feel like if you knew and felt the gratitude of the community all the time. Imagine what it would feel like if you knew and felt the gratitude of each other all the time. If you knew and felt the gratitude of each other all the time, imagine what it would feel like. Not the frustration. I mean, yes, we feel each other's frustrations, but I'm speaking specifically about gratitude here because Paul goes out of his way to thank God for these people. And we ought to follow the example, to thank God for one another. I thank God for you, Sovereign Grace Fellowship, all of you, every day, constantly. I thank God for you. And understand I have been in other communities 
as a pastor of other people. And I know, I know what it's like to be embittered and angry. I know what it's like to struggle with social dynamics and other people. And I, I am so grateful for you, all of you, every one of you, every single one of you. I'm so grateful for you. And that's enough of my personal sappiness towards you. I'll get to that another time. To encourage gratitude, we ought to be like the, the Thessalonians. And just remember what we've studied in First Thessalonians and what we've seen earlier in this book. That they contribute to other, to other people. They give uh, out of their poverty. They give to others. They are faithful to contribute. They pursue holiness together. They live peaceful and quiet lives together. To, to pursue gratitude, we ought to do those three things. Those three things, not only should we pray and thank God for them, but we should also pursue gratitude or pursue hearts that are like theirs in order to, to live peaceful, quiet, sanctified, holy lives that matter. So we should contribute to the saints, the needs of the saints. Uh, that extends beyond church offerings, by the way. That extends beyond the church offering, uh, which, yes, we ought to give to the church offering. We also ought to give to other missions. We also ought to give to pregnancy help centers. We also ought to give to saints who are in need. As we see needs and God lays them before us, if we are able to accomplish them, we ought to try to do them. We also ought to pursue holiness. And you guys do this great, just so you're aware. You do a great job of this. Pursuing holiness, talking to one another about your needs, uh, and how we can help one another. We struggle together here, and it's awesome. Um, and then you ought to live a peaceful and quiet life, just like the Thessalonians. And in doing so, we will encourage our hearts to have gratitude for one another and for, uh, for others. And then he calls them beloved of the Lord. Brothers, beloved of the Lord. We always... We ought always to give thanks to you, or that word ought fitting. It is fitting that we give thanks for you, uh, thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. First, he calls them brothers. I just want to remind you, you don't get to pick your family, right? God does that. He picks your family, and they're brothers. And sometimes your family members look a little wonky, right? You don't get to pick your family. You're born into the family. You're born into the family. God brings who he will to the kingdom. And you have brothers and sisters in the kingdom. Some of them you get along great with. Some of them are your brothers and sisters. And you love them. Bless their heart. Right? Like that's... Some of them are that way. Just to remind you. Brothers, beloved of the Lord. They are loved by God. And now we're going to get into some relatively heavy thought. So how are they loved by God? How are they loved by God? Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Uh, if you can turn there, I'm going to read it, but you can turn there if you'd like. And it says, God being rich in mercy because of the great love. This is the only time that that phrase is used. In the New Testament, great love. The great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us within the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So first, how did God love them? He loved them by giving them mercy when they deserve death. By giving us mercy when we deserved death. That's the first way. He, he gave us mercy. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Because of this love, He gave us mercy. And it's perfectly, as we talked about in 1 Thessalonians, it's perfectly just mercy. God didn't thwart the law. God didn't defeat the God didn't deny the law. God fulfilled the law in Jesus Christ. It is absolutely just for Him to lay out His wrath on Jesus. If Jesus pays the cost, then for you not to be guilty. Because Jesus has paid it it is just for him to give you mercy. It is justice for him to give you mercy. So he gives mercy to us. Even when we were dead, he made us alive. This is how the mercy comes to us. We were dead. It doesn't say asleep. It doesn't say inattentive. It doesn't say sick. It says dead. We were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked, which is the verse prior. We, we were dead in these things, and yet He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up to walk, and raised, raised sorry, Romans 5, 6 jumped in my head, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. Jesus. So that's the first one. Second, look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but now Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how does God love them? How are they beloved? This is how. They're beloved because God gives them mercy. He gives them life in Jesus. They are, they are resurrected to a new life. They are given life where they were once dead. And then here in Galatians, not only that, but he lives a life that is guided by Jesus who gave himself for me. Paul now lives a life, he's alive, because of Jesus' life in him, which indicates that the Spirit of God walks within the heart of a believer. We have life in him, and not just life eternal that we look forward to one day. It's not like we're just walking on this earth, walking zombies until he wakes us up at the end. No, you have life full and abundant and free now and you get to walk with the Lord and you get to go through a process of sanctified living where you are learning to live like a child of God. And he's walking with you daily. How beautiful is this? How wonderful is this? So they are loved by God. You are loved by God and Jesus is saving you. 1 John 4.10 This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Love 
is given to you in salvation, in life with Christ. And here comes the difficult part. Not everyone gets that love. Not everyone gets that love. There are people who are not saved and are not going to be. There are lawless ones and there are rebellious ones. There are people who will not get this love. You have. You have. But there are people who won't get this love. And, they, and it's not as though it's some arbitrary decision. I can understand. Willful rejection is what was described in the previous passage. Willful rejection. Hatred of the truth. A desire for self for self and wicked, unrighteous pleasure. That's what was described above. Not everyone is beloved of God in this sense. Oh, there's common love that covers everybody. And you can testify to that by looking at somebody and saying, you are breathing. That's a common grace. You get to breathe, even though you've sinned against an almighty and holy God, He still lets you walk around on the earth. That's a common grace That is love for everyone. The Bible says God so loved the world. And it's true. He gave love to everyone. And everyone can see some of God's love. But there are those who are beloved of God who are rescued and redeemed and saved. And there there are those who, who aren't beloved and who are condemned. And they are those who reject the truth. And they are those who rejoice in unrighteous pleasures. They are those who have not been born again. F.B. Meyer says that there are those who are, uh, who, who sing, I have decided to follow Jesus in this life. And when they get to the next, they will see that they were born again. They were born again. Hallelujah. They were born again. Birth having nothing to do with their choosing, and yet deciding having nothing to do with their being drawn, both proclaiming the same thing, that God has rescued me, God has saved me, He moved in my hearts and I believed. That's F.B. Myers. We see this truth that God saves. They are beloved and they are brothers. And then we see how here. Because God chose you as the first fruits. Now, I want to be, I want to be as clear as possible, which is in Scripture is fun to do. Um, the words, I just, I just want to throw this out there. People have trouble with these words. Please have trouble with me with these words. Please Don't run away from these words. Have trouble with me with these words. Let's trouble these words together. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that. Let's trouble these words together. These words are the words elect, election, chosen, and predestined. People have trouble with these words. Sure, have trouble with these words. What I did for you, on the back table there's a sheet of paper, and it has these words and the scripture references where they're used. I left out some of the scripture references. The ones I left out are the ones that say to the elect church of so-and-so, to the elect at such-and-such. I left those out because those are just addresses. Um, You can find those at the beginning of every letter. 
This word election is used at the beginning of almost every letter. The word predestination is used at the beginning of several of the letters. But we've got this, these words and they trouble us. So um, do your homework. Go get a sheet of paper if these words trouble you. Read through all of these and form your own thoughts. Um, think about what and let scripture shape what you think about these things. Let the scripture shape what you think about these things. Grab hold of them. Let the scripture grab hold of them. And then let's do trouble together and wrestle through these things like we're supposed to do. Strive together to, for unity in the faith. So we struggle with these things. Great. There are uh, several references to the elect here. There are several references to chosen here. And there are several references to predestination here. Um, I did not, again, I did not include every single reference to chosen or predestined or elect, but I rather just grabbed the ones that didn't have an, that weren't an address. So God chose you by His love. Let's first, God chose you as the first fruits, or that could really be translated from the beginning. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. First, He chose you by His love. In First Thessalonians chapter one verse four, it says this: We know. Brothers loved by God. Same phrasing. We know brothers loved by God that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Then if you jump to verse 6, you'll see it says further, And you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So we see here... First, he's loved by God. He chose them or picked them because, and this is how they know that he picked them. When the gospel was given to them, this is how the Thessalonians received it. When the gospels came to them, it came not only in word. So it wasn't like everybody just said, oh yeah, that's great. That's great and went about their daily lives. But it came in word and in power. And the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And we know that because their lives changed. When they believed the gospel, their lives changed. When they be believed the gospels, they began to live differently. Their affections changed and shifted, and they began to pursue something different. When a person becomes a Christian, their lives show that they became a Christian. When a person becomes a Christian, their lives show that they became a Christian. Their lives changed, and they became imitators of Paul and Timothy and Silas and of the Lord. For you received the word in affliction with the joy of the Spirit. So they saw changed life. They saw received gospel. They saw changed life. They saw an imitation of what was good in their behavior. So they saw these people striving to be more like Christ together. And then they saw joy amidst, amidst affliction. They saw joy amidst affliction. So, as they were struggling and having difficulties, this was the evidence that the gospel had come to them and that they had honestly become believers, that they were chosen, beloved brothers. This is how they knew. They knew because their lives showed it. They knew because their lives showed it. All the theology in the world, all the great theology in the world, all the wonderful uh, brilliant 
thought processes of the greatest theologians. You can memorize all of Jonathan Edwards' works and espouse it to your heart's content. And you can argue every theological point with perfect, perfect erudite uh, arguments. And you can handle every single theological point of view. But if you have not love, you are nothing. If you don't love other people, you're nothing. If you don't live a holy, if your theology does not affect your life in any way, it's not good theology. Or, you are not saved. If your theology doesn't change the way you live, it's not worth digging into. Theology changes us because it's knowing God and loving Him. And if we love Him, we're changed. If we're chosen of God, we're changed. There's no such thing as frozen chosen. You've heard that? Or is that outdated? Maybe it's outdated. Back when, uh, I'm going to use some terms, please don't get mad at me. Well, no, feel free to get mad at me, because I can handle it. Um, Back when Calvinism and Arminianism was a big argument in local churches, and it wasn't this, you know, academic realm argument, it was on the common level argument back in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s these arguments were going around and and they're still prevalent today people still like people people will be like well i know that i'm not a calvinist but i know that jesus christ predestined me from the beginnings of the earth and you're going that's calvinism what's wrong with you you know they they just don't know the term they just know some preacher told them calvinism was evil or some preacher told them armenians don't love jesus like one or the other um they're both wrong by the way both those statements are are wicked uh reductionist theology but um, back then they used to have this phrase the frozen chosen you believe that if you believed, and it was an attack on anybody who believed in the sovereignty of god you believed in the sovereignty of god you were the frozen chosen you you didn't do anything your life didn't change you just went to church and you there was no passion no love no life um and that was that was true of some groups that's why it's sad it was true of some groups but what i'm telling you is in the book of thessalonians we see that that can't be true of christians There's no such thing as a frozen chosen Christian. There's no such thing. Christians are people who have the spirit of God moving in them. And they are progressing towards holiness. And they love. They love. We are marked by love because he loved us. Christians love. And a theology that that takes away that love. It's not good. And I'd love to tell you which one's take away that love and which ones don't, but I'd be doing the very same thing of labeling people that I get irritated with. I'd rather just talk to you about the Bible over lunch. Um, So we see this picture that they knew they were saved because there was a movement in their heart and they were rescued and they were changed. And then in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 6, this is on the front of your, on the front of your bulletin. We read this this morning. It says, uh, in the front page, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who one, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Two, even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So He chose us that we would be holy and blameless, that we would have a changed life. The evidence of chosen is that you have a changed life, that your life is being conformed to the image of the One who created you before Him. And then three, in love He predestined us for adoption as sons 
through Jesus Christ. So just a side note, people who hate the, the, the predestination argument or they hate talking about predestination also really dislike this verse because it starts with in love. He predestined us and, and often they'll want to grab love and divorce it from the sovereignty of God. And I have to tell you, you can't divorce love from the sovereignty of God because God is love and without him there is no love. There must be God present in order for there to be real love. So in love, he predestined us before the foundations of the earth. That's three. Uh, as, as, or he predestined us as sons for, as, as adoption, as sons. Sorry, let me start over. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And then for according to the purpose of his will. It was his design, his purpose, his will that this would happen to the praise of his glorious grace. That's five. That he would get the praise and the glory with which he has blessed us coming full circle in the beloved. So he made us beloved in Jesus Christ by taking his beloved son and sacrificing us on our behalf that we would have life. And then all those things in the middle, sanctifying us, blessing us with the spiritual blessings, choosing us, loving us, adopting us, according to the purpose of His will, all with purpose. This is beautiful. Back to 2 Thessalonians, it says, uh, but because, <coughs> brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you, the word chose there, just if you're a Greek nut and you enjoy this, the word chose is an aorist, meaning that it's a single time, it's, the emphasis is on a one-time action that was done already. He chose one time, middle, emphasis on the action. So understanding this is important. Understanding this idea that you were chosen by God is important. It's a powerful answer to your anxieties. Remember what Paul is answering in this passage. In chapter 2, he is answering the anxieties of false teachings. The world is falling down around us. Everybody's getting arrested. People are being taken from their homes. Children are being taken from their parents. This is, he's writing this, and, he, and what's happening is there's a bunch of false teaching that's coming of people who are claiming even to be Paul. Even to be Paul. They've gotten fake letters from him. They've got people standing up going, oh, I know what Paul means. And they're preaching falsehood. And so Paul says, how do I address these anxieties? How do I deal with these anxieties? And this is how. This is how we remember first that he's going to take care of all the lawlessness and rebellion. And then we remember who we are to him. We remember who we are to Christ. Understanding this truth that God has chosen you in love and has rescued you and has sanctified you and that you show evidence of, his, of your chosenness by His work in your life, by sanctifying work in your life and by living a different life. God has all this under control since the beginning. The fact that He chose you indicates He has all of this under control since the beginning of time. And according to Ephesians, what we read there a minute ago, before time. Before time, he had it. It was before the foundations of the earth, he had it all under control. God has it all under control. He is not, things are not spiraling out of control. And hear this, 
He has held on to you from the beginning. He has held on to you from the beginning. He knit you together. He knows your heart. He knows every single anxious thought. He knows every trouble you have. And he has held on to you from the beginning. What a great, great and powerful truth. So the first answer to anxiety that we have here is that, in this part, is that God rescued you. He loved you. And He chose you. You are beloved of God. You are brothers. You are chosen. He has kept you from the beginning. And I want to be careful. Again, we're going slow. I want to be careful again. I want you to note, I have not stripped away any action that you have done in your life. I have not stripped away any action that you have done in response to the goodness of God in your life. That is hyperbolic, and it's not something that I've said. You have responsibility clearly given to you in Scripture. You are responsible for your sin. You are responsible to repent and believe when the Spirit moves in your hearts. There is an engagement with your soul by God. And still, we get to wrestle with the truth that it is only by His grace and His mercy that you ever even turn. So, next. How did this happen? There's two things that are mentioned here simultaneously that happened together. Look at this. Because He chose you as the first fruits, or from the beginning... To be saved. I think, by the way, just a heads up, I think it's better to translate that from the beginning there because uh, the term first fruits typically in Paul's writings tends to refer to uh, resurrection or literally the first people in an area to be saved. And these were not the first people in Macedonia to be saved. There were other people who had gotten saved uh, there. And so he might be referring to them as the first ones to be saved in Thessalonica. But more than likely, this is from the beginning. And I say that because of the context of what he said there. He chose you from the beginning. That's more, that's, that translation seems a little bit more consistent with what he says in Ephesians and in Romans, um, where he says, from the beginning, God did these things, or even from before the foundations of the earth. Just a side note. Uh, but he says here, you were the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. you got two things there. The sanctification by the, by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You've got both of those things and they're referring, grammatically, they are one thing. I didn't say that very well. Grammatically, the two of those match. There are two ways to say the same thing. So, he says, by, through the sanctification of the Spirit and through belief in the truth as opposed to delight in unrighteousness that we saw earlier and a uh, rejection of the truth so because of a belief in the truth these are these two things are grammatically the same belief there's the word pistu, pistuo faith because of faith in the truth so evidence here again evidence of salvation is a holy lifestyle or sanctification and a love for the truth Those two things, 
Christians should never run from truth. Christians should never run from truth. Even if it's hard, Christians should never run away from truth. Which means when we come across scriptures that are difficult for us to grasp, we go all in. And we strive to grasp them. And if we can't grasp them, we shrug and go, I'm going to keep trying. Because Christians don't run from the truth. We believe the truth. And we attack the truth. And we hold fast to the truth. And we discern the truth. These things are things that we're told to do in Scripture. You believe the truth, but you don't just believe. You also live a holy lifestyle in love with other people. You live a holy lifestyle loving other people. James chapter 2, verse 19, you know this verse well. It says, you believe that God is one good, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. A holy, a life that is embracing the heaviest theology is going to be a life that is transformed and loves people well. It is not going to look like a demon. You are not going to look like a demon if you're a Christian. Demons know. They have better theology than you. Just throw that out there. The devil has great theology. But he does not love Jesus. And he will not be saved. If we love Jesus, our theology changes the way that we live. Changes our hearts, and then our hands follow. Our hearts get changed, and then our hands follow. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You have the heart, and you have the mouth. I'm just saying it slightly different. You have the heart and the hands, the heart and the mouth. You have both the belief, the, the understanding of the truth, and then you have that lived out in the way that you speak, in the way that you walk, in the way that you do things. You have that lived out in you. Oh, if you have deep theology, that is wonderful. Show me a person who loves Jesus and lives like it, and I will, I will embrace that person. Show me a person who claims to love Jesus, but looks like a demon, and I will call him to repent. Doesn't matter how many doctoral degrees you have in theology, if you have no love. If you have no great degree of holiness or sanctification, if if holiness doesn't matter to you, no, we are people who pursue holiness, who pursue sanctification sanctification by the Spirit. This is a work of the Lord. Look there. You were chosen, chosen to be the first fruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit. So this is actually how this happened. How were you chosen? Through the sanctification by the Spirit. The Spirit of God began to move in your heart and transform your heart and you were saved. That's how it happened. The Spirit of God began to move in your heart and transform your heart, and you were saved. We call this regeneration. This is a common theological term. This is where you find it. This is one of the places you find it in Scripture. Through the sanctification of the Spirit, by means of the sanctification of the Spirit, you are saved. That's how this works. The Spirit indwells you. He saves you through the sanctification of the Spirit. Your heart is changed because the Spirit moved in. Holiness and fitness 
are part of the aim of your salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. If you go back and look at it, you'll see this. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy or fit for His calling and may fulfill every resolve for good work, for good and every work of faith by His power. So that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. God saves you so that you will be holy. And he saves you by his spirit moving in you to make you holy. This is the first one. This is also repeated that you are saved from the wrath of God. You are saved from what? You're saved from the wrath of God by the sanctification of the Spirit. So you're saved from the wrath of God in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 10, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, and in Romans chapter 5, verse 9. It explicitly says you are saved from the wrath of God. Salvation is being saved from that punishment you are due from the wrath of God, no longer due to you because Christ has taken it. You are sanctified through the Holy Spirit. So that's the first look at this, how you were chosen. The second one is by belief in the truth. You've got sanctification by the Spirit. And I hope you saw as we went through those verses that that is all entirely God's doing. The Spirit moves in you. He regenerates you. He changes you. Belief in the truth. You believe. You are called to believe. Actively, You are called to believe. Regeneration in truth, belief. Re- regeneration in the Spirit, belief in the truth. These are talking about the same thing. And if you feel like they're in tension with each other, good. They are. They're supposed to be. Because you are not a robot. And God is not a clipboard. God is a person. God has a heart. He breaks for you. He loves you. He's not a clipboard carrying, like you checked all the boxes so you get in. That's not how this works. No. There's belief in the truth as well. And this describes the same thing. We believe in the truth. You want holiness, you want to know God, you want to, you want to have a sanctified life, believe in the truth. Pursue the truth. Jesus calls the people to repent and follow Him. It's an active call. He tells Nicodemus to follow Him. He tells the Pharisees, come to the feast, come to the banquet. Peter calls to the people and says, what must I do to be saved in Acts chapter 2? And he says, repent and be baptized. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls constantly that you would believe. And that call has to come from our mouths. For how will they hear unless someone says it? Romans 10. How are they going to hear unless someone says it? How are they going to hear it? Someone's got to say it. It's a very simple passage. Say it. Believe it. So we believe the truth. We're sanctified in the Spirit. We believe the truth. And what is is that? John 17, 17. Believe in me. My word is truth. 
we believe in what Jesus has proclaimed. And because we believe, we can know that we are sanctified by, through the Spirit. They are the same thing. If you believe, your life has changed. If you are sanctified, you believe. This is the same topic. And like I said, we're only doing this verse today. Because I want you to think heavily about it. And I want you to wrestle with it. And I want you to recognize that the world wants you to land on this side of a theological spectrum or on this side. And God's going, I don't care about your theological perspective. Read the Bible. Follow hard after me. Everything you derive, Sovereign Grace Fellowship, everything you derive ought to be derived from Scripture. Every theological presupposition ought to be derived from Scripture. And like I said, we don't run from truth. We, we charge at the truth. So I put books on the back table for you to read. Some of them are great. Some of them are okay. I've read every one of them. You can trust that they're not awful. But sometimes you'll pick one up and I'll go, watch out for chapter 7 and chapter 10. He goes a little weird there. And he's not right. We don't run from truth. We don't have to. We believe the truth. We pursue the truth. And because we believe the truth, we know that we're sanctified by the Spirit. Because we believe the truth, we know that we're sanctified by the Spirit. These are two doctrines that we have covered today. We've covered the doctrine of uh, what many would call predestination. And we've covered the doctrine of regeneration. So if you want to write those down, we've covered these doctrines. Feel free to write them down. Um, But what I want to end with here is simply a reading of this text again. And in light of the fact that God has loved you so much, He has loved you to such a degree that He has saved you and He has caused you to be regenerated and you have become His and you are chosen by Him. In light of all that, let's read verse 13 through 17 again. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you. God chose you before time to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified among us. That we would be reminded of your grace and mercy. And as we approach the table together this morning, as we approach the communion together this morning, that you would remind us that we have been sanctified 